0: Hi, this is the official podcast of the WCD. That's the World Congress of Dermatology, which will be held next in Singapore in 2023. I am Dr. Etienne Wang from the National Skin Centre of Singapore, and I will be your host for this podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. In this... In this podcast, I'll bring on dermatologists and skin researchers from all over the world to talk about all things dermatology. And today I have my resident co-host Shashin back to talk about a dumb topic of interest. Shashin, what do you have for us today?
1: Hi Tian. great to be back here today. So today it's a topic that I hold very dear in my heart, and that is empowering patients. Now specifically, I thought we could look at uh, empowering patients to use sun protective behaviour.
0: Wow, that's quite interesting. In, in what way?
1: Yeah. So I think first looking at the problem, I was looking at some of the data in Singapore. And in fact, there was also a study done at the National Skin Center, which looked at sun protective behavior in Singaporeans. So for example, certain factors like being male, um, being Indian, having history of diabetes were predictors of lower sun protection scores. And there were certain variables that also predicted um, patients having longer average daily hours of sun exposure. For example, being younger, younger adults, male, having a darker skin type or a lower education level. So I came across recently this app that actually uh, was used in Germany. To motivate uh, students, young adults, to protect their skin from the sun, basically, and it's called SunFace. It basically uses the concept of a selfie, something that's you know used all over nowadays, and it ages your selfie based on your skin type and how much sun exposure you're exposed to. I actually tried it out myself just last week. I must say that it really motivates you to think about the damage that ultraviolet radiation could do to your skin. Um, basically, you upload a selfie, it asks you to select your skin type, and you can select the amount of radiation. For example, if you want to see what your face would look like in, say, 10 years with um, sunscreen use or without sunscreen use, it applies, it's almost like a filter that. Uh, applies these either blemishes or wrinkles or signs of photo aging and photo damage to your skin now when they tried this out in a team in germany they did this to secondary school students and they mirrored these students images on this app and modeled it and afterwards they administered a questionnaire to look at how these images or the use of this app would change their uh, sun protective behavior Interestingly, about 63% of these students agreed, or strongly agreed, that their 3D selfie actually motivated them to avoid using a tanning bed, and about 61% said it it motivated them to increase their use of sun protection, which I thought was a fantastic way to reach out to people. But I thought it was just a very clever way to reach out to patients using um, a mobile phone and the selfie, something that we're very comfortable with, to motivate them and empower them to take care of their own skin.
0: Yes, that's very interesting. It's almost like uh, those nasty pictures you get on cigarette packs, right? Exactly. To try to motivate people to change their behaviors. It's quite interesting you these young people actually report that they f- would do it, but was there any behavioral change that they actually documented?
1: They haven't recorded that yet. So they just administered a questionnaire right after they were, you know, they they were exposed to this app. But I think it would be interesting to look at what the outcomes were afterwards.
0: Uh, Yeah, the actual behaviours. The actual
1: behaviours, yes.
0: Yeah, I think um, AI in this setting is actually very useful, I mean, to help people visualise ways that their habits can be actually detrimental to their ageing and everything. And that's something that maybe can be developed for even other things, other specialties and even other um, parts of the body, do you think?
1: Yes, I mean, uh, because I think there's a big difference between telling the patient in words versus showing them in a picture. Um, is, yeah, picture speaks a thousand words now very often in clinic we tell for example eczema patients that it's important to moisturize even though you may not see an immediate effect it does help with the skin's barrier function or help them get get the eczema better if, if, if there was for example a way to show them how much their skin would improve if they moisturizer was used or if a topical steroid was used I, I feel that that would also help us empower these patients to use their medications
0: yeah, so um, do you think any of these apps will be used in the clinic? Have you tried?
1: I have not tried this yet because I've only used this app with myself. It was actually one of my uh, friends, another registrar who told me about this app. It would be cool to first try it out with some of my peers, some other doctors to see what they, felt they feel about it. Maybe even try it out in one of the, the clinics one of these days.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, that's very interesting. I think I think we have to watch' this space in the use of AI and patient motivation. Okay, thank you, Shashin, for this very interesting piece of news. Thank you very much. And now actually I have one of the authors of the study you mentioned earlier on, Dr. Yu Yik Wing, for the next segment. Wonderful, Looking forward to hearing his interview. Okay, bye, bye. I'd like to invite Dr. Yu Yik Wing, who's a consultant dermatologist at the National Skin Centre in Singapore, and my colleague. He's also the head of the eczema clinic, and he recently completed his MPH, his Master's of Public Health, and a PhD in atopic dermatitis. Welcome, Yik Wing, to the podcast.
2: Hi, hi everyone. Nice to invite me over here
0: wing first of all, congratulations on your PhD. That was a lot of hard work.
2: Yes, uh, thank you so much. Uh, it has been a journey, I must say.
0: <laughs> I also understand that you actually have a very strong history in public health. You were doing public health before you joined dermatology, right?
2: Yes, uh, quite a while back, I-, I guess about more than 10 years ago, uh, I did a public health uh, one-year posting on the Ministry of Health. I was doing communicable diseases then. Yeah. Do you
0: think your training there has um, helped you in your de- in dermatology? I think it definitely
2: has. Uh, it enables me to have a, a viewpoint, a, a more a holistic, a broad viewpoint. And subsequently, when I come back to clinical medicine, I'm able to both uh, bring certain principles and concepts into the day-to-day clinical practice that I, I'm, I'm doing right now. Yeah, so you did do a master's in public health as well, right? Uh, yes. Uh, so, I mean, in a way, I was fortunate. I was given the opportunity to uh, do a Master of Public Health, concentrating on quantitative methods, uh, and that was in 2014. And, and I was fortunate to, to to do this MPH in uh, the Harvard School of Public Health, uh, where I feel that the, the good point about this is that I was able to network with people there, and it really broad, broadens my horizon. And, and thereafter, it, it changes how I view things, and in fact, how I analyze things and things like that.
0: Hmm. Uh, do, do you have any examples about the stuff that you analysed while you were uh, doing your MPH?
2: Okay so uh, some important things that uh, when I was there I guess uh, is of course knowing friends and networking and we really understand what are the challenges and, and viewpoints of uh, the other uh, healthcare systems. Uh, one important things that we, we learned quite a bit was that the use of uh, public available databases uh, in large-scale population cohorts, uh, as well as uh, doing cost-effective analysis on simple things like, for example, HPV vaccinations, uh, which one of the university departments was doing. So uh, I-, I was fortunate to, to be able to recognise the importance of doing such uh, research.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of very, very important information out there, and I think it takes a lot of skill to be able to make sense of all this data.
2: Yep, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, and what made you decide to do a PhD?
2: after i finished my mph i always feel that perhaps could i take one final step further to further my my, my training and research uh having it in a more structured format of of course it's, it's like you mentioned before it's a, it's a long commitment I, i'm sure you you can fully empathize with the situation mm-hmm. it is a long commitment yes. and i was fortunate that i was able to uh, uh, pursue a, a local phd right next to nsc which is uh, lee kong chen school of medicine and that uh, allows me to pursue a PhD at, at the same time uh, uh, do my day-to-day work as a dermatologist at National Skin Centre.
0: Can you tell us a bit about what your PhD thesis is about?
2: So uh, my PhD thesis was about actually the relationship of uh, adiposity and atopic dermatitis using a general population cohort. And this general, general population cohort is the Helios cohort uh, at LKC itself. And I mean, it's actually, uh, I mean, I've been very interested in disease association or atopic dermatitis. It being a very common, most common chronic inflammatory skin condition. And there are a lot of disease associations and I always have a few and I've read from various epidemiological studies that they are related. And so I proposed this topic uh, to my mentor who, who is a uh, expert in epidemiology as well as uh, in cardiovascular uh, diseases. And I'm grateful that they, he really took my topic and I could really study in-depth evaluating this association.
0: Hmm. And what did you find about the relationship between obesity and atopic dermatitis?
2: From the epidemiological studies prior, we understand that there is a relationship, although the relationship is not as strong or as clear that Uh, for example, comparing like psoriasis and obesity itself. In in this particular PhD, we look at different aspects. We look at the genetic risk factors aspects. We look at the skin physiology uh, among obese uh, participants. We also look at skin microbiome as well as uh, serum proteomics. So uh, from the PhD itself, we, we noticed that certain genetic risk factors for obesity are also related to atopic dermatitis. And in Obese participants, we noticed that they have uh, increased trans water loss as well as a decreased skin surface moisture and most importantly, we also noted uh, char- characteristic skin microbiome changes in the obese participants over the moist sites. So these are just a beginning as, as the PhD actually generates certain info that's just the beginning and I'm also looking forward to evaluating some of these early findings and hopefully we can lead to something, better understanding of the pathophysiology of atopic dermatitis.
0: Mm, that's super interesting. And right now, you're also the head of the eczema clinic in NSC. What are the main challenges you find in treating eczema these days?
2: I mean, eczema is, is a, the most common skin condition. And, and I myself have eczema as well. Eczema patient often suffers from itch and pain and sometimes it appears on eczema can be on cosmetically obvious uh, spotty sites and actually it can lead to low self-esteem and have caused a major major burden on psychological health. I think the greatest challenge is actually ensuring compliance of uh, skin uh, protective habits, skin care habits, because often we just can't give them a magic pill and expect the eczema to get better we often require the patient cooperation to, to also to, uh, avoid certain harmful skincare practices and moisturize their skins. And As a patient myself, or as someone who has eczema myself, although I, I fully understand the importance of doing all this, but sometimes it can be difficult due to our lifestyle habits. It can be difficult to be compliant. So we end up having a lot of uh, patients who eczema could be better controlled. And we are also the, a, a great threat to all this... Uh, care for eczema patient who also be, there are a lot of, uh, what, we, what I can call it, fake news or a lot of misconception that's circulating in social media. Uh, for example, things like they are afraid of uh, topical steroids phobia, they're afraid of, sometimes I even recently heard that some patients are very afraid of using moisturizer. They think using moisturizer will harm the eczema skin. So these are often some of the challenges we face uh, in trying to persuade all these patients to actually clear up their misconception and to be compliant with that treatment yeah
0: yes i really do think that science communication and getting our patients the right information is very important which is one of the reasons why i started this podcast also
2: yeah it's a meaningful uh, project I, I i really i really like your podcast
0: <laughs> thank you um so you have a very interesting career trajectory in in um, dermatology what advice do you have for dermatology trainees who are interested in research
2: i think it's important uh, first of all to i mean I've, I've always mentioned that if you are interested in research always first of all find something that you really like and enjoy doing uh, that's a good start point finding good mentors are important so uh, observe what your seniors or those that have gone before you what what have they tried i think in the end it it, it goes down to in order to be interested or in order to be uh, inspired in research there are certain important factors that's essential number one is doing something that you find interesting number two doing something that you probably uh, might be good at and doing something that's in needs that's in demand that can answer uh, or address research gaps that's in in, in the society now if all these three could align then then i think uh, you would have a good fruitful research career but the most important baseline is that you must be interested in, in what you you are doing so I think that that's the, that's my advice for that.
0: definitely because you're looking for you're looking for this in the long run and it has to be sustainable.
2: Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ikwing, for coming on my podcast. It was really interesting talking to you in this setting.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: thank you, Etienne. Thanks for
2: inviting me over. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
0: And that was the official podcast of the WCD. Don't forget to follow us on all our socials on Facebook, Instagram at WCD 2023 Singapore and check out our WCD website wcd2023singapore.org for more updates and content on the WCD. And until next time, stay safe and use Sunblock.